welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on September 11th, Lord's Day service. I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may all that blocks us from seeing the truth of Scripture fall away, that we may receive the blessing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a story about the attitude of the disciples toward children and Jesus' rebuke of it. In the ministry of Jesus, people bring him the sick, the lame, and the demon-possessed. And in the ministry of Jesus, mothers bring their young children to Jesus and ask him to bless them. Now remember back in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, when Jesus tells the disciples, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Well, here in this story, in Mark chapter 10, the disciples have the opportunity to put Mark chapter 9, verse 37 into practice and receive the little children. But what do they do? Well, in verse 14, the disciples rebuke the parents for bringing the little children to Jesus. And Jesus is indignant. The disciples directly contradict what he taught them to do with little children, namely, don't hinder them. Jesus then lives up to his exhortation by receiving and blessing the little children. Now, how old are these children? Well, the word used here in Mark chapter 10 for children is a nonspecific word that can be used for children of all ages. It's a word that can be used to refer to infants all the way up to 12 years old. So the word used here in Mark chapter 10 is of little help in determining the age of the children. So then we have to say, well, are there any clues in the story about the age of the children? And in verse 16, we read that Jesus took them in his arms. So we know these are little children. And also, as we're looking for clues, we have to recognize that this story is in all three of the synoptic gospels. So are there any clues in the parallel accounts about the age of the children? And in Luke's telling of the story, in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, Luke uses the Greek word brephos to describe the children. And the Greek word brephos is the word for infant. And so these are infants that Jesus takes in his arms and blesses. 
Now, this makes perfect sense from a redemptive historical perspective. The covenant of old included infants. The children in the covenant of old were given the covenant sign as infants and brought into the covenant family to receive the blessings of the Lord. And we see here that Jesus is indignant with the disciples for trying to deny the children access. They are leading away from Jesus those to whom the kingdom belongs. And so see in this passage how the new covenant of Christ does not divide covenant families, but rather it brings covenant families together. It restores covenant families. And I wonder when Peter preaches that famous Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, when he says at the end of that sermon that the promise is for you and your children. In other words, the promise of the new covenant, the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you and your children. I wonder if Peter is running in his mind this rebuke he received from Jesus when he tried to hinder them from Christ. And so today we're going to consider three main points. There's three main things we learn about the kingdom of God in this passage. The first thing we learn is that you must bring the little children. You must bring the little children. I know this is an obvious point. This is obviously at the center of what's going on here, but we must make this point. You must bring the little children. Look what it says here in verse 13. It says, they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. We see the disciples rebuked the parents who brought the little children to Jesus. So, so why are the disciples doing this? Why are the disciples so displeased that infants are brought to Jesus? Well, it doesn't say, but they apparently think it's a waste of Jesus' time. They probably think they're protecting Jesus from wasting his time. Maybe they're thinking, well, you know, what's the good of bringing helpless and senseless children to Jesus? I mean, will the children even remember this moment when they're older? I mean, isn't it better for the children to at least be old enough to choose to go to Jesus? So it's their choice? I mean, isn't it better for Jesus to spend his time teaching the adults? I mean, at least the adults will probably remember what he says. These children won't remember this happened at all. But notice what Jesus does with the children. Verse 16, Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So think about this. In response to the disciples trying to keep the little children from Jesus, Jesus takes the children in his arms and blesses him. And notice, that's what it says in verse 16. Jesus blesses them. And so notice what this means. This means that Jesus can bless small children. He did bless small children. And he will bless small children. Even though to all appearances the children aren't old enough to have received the blessing. Even though to all appearances the children are incapable of comprehending Jesus' teaching. By taking these children in his arms, Jesus establishes that his mission is more than just teaching and healing. I mean, yes, Jesus is the prophet of God, it is true. And yes, Jesus is the great physician, it is true. And Jesus is the bearer of blessings for babies. 
You know, we hear similar arguments today about keeping the children from covenant blessings. And so may we not make the same mistake as the disciples. May we not exclude the children or hinder the children is actually the word used there. May we not hinder the children from receiving Christ's blessings. This passage teaches us that little children, infants, are not removed from the spiritual blessings that Christ gives. When Christ puts his hand on the infants and blesses them. The, the little children, the infants, they are legitimate recipients of spiritual blessings. And also when you look at the New Testament more broadly, you see that in the early church, in the, in the, in the apostolic writings, the children of believers are considered as a subgroup of the church. And that's why Paul addresses children specifically in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. That's a letter written to the church, and he's addressing the children. And so the children are considered part of the church. We see this also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. And so the plain meaning, especially with this passage here, is that the infants are part of the kingdom of God. The infants are part of the covenant. I mean, how could it not mean that? I mean, it would be really strange for Jesus to say, hey, everyone, receive the kingdom like these infants who aren't in the kingdom. And so, if Jesus was indignant with his disciples then for keeping infants from him, doesn't that mean Jesus is indignant with his disciples now? When, he keeps, when we keep the infants from him? Especially since, as Peter said in the Pentecost sermon, the promise, the promise of the gospel, the promise of the new covenant is for you and your children. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39. And so the first thing we see in this passage, the plainest meaning of the passage, you must bring the little children. The second thing we see in this passage is that you must bring yourself like a little child. You must bring yourself like a little child. So look with me now, verses 14 and 15. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And it's that phrase in verse 15 which gets so much attention. When Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does this mean? Well, I consulted more commentaries for this sermon than I've ever done before. And I made a very long list of what the commentators claim this means. When Jesus says, you must receive the kingdom like little children. So at least we know, okay, we're supposed to receive the kingdom like we were a child. But notice, Jesus does not refer to any inherent qualities in children, such like transparency, or hopefulness, or openness to the future, or simplicity, or moral innocence, or excitement, or any other idealized quality that people attribute to children today. Humility is a common one. None of these virtues were associated with children in the first century world. That's a list of virtues that maybe people in the modern period after the romantic, after romanticism, those are qualities that we in the modern world attribute to children. But in the first century world, they didn't view children like you view, view children. 
In the first century world, they understood that the primary characteristic of children is their helplessness. The suggestion of these other qualities like you know, children and infants having hopefulness or simplicity or moral innocence or humility, that reflects a contemporary, sentimental, modern view of children that was not present in the first century world. That's not the sorts of things that anyone in the first century world would have thought of when they thought of infants. When they thought of small children in the first century world, they thought of their helplessness and their dependence. And we know this is the case. I mean, one of the most common comments that I hear from first-time parents is about how completely helpless this little infant is, about how defenseless, how vulnerable, how dependent the infant is, how, how they as the parents have to do everything for this child just to keep them alive. Babies cry for help even when others object to their cry. In other words, babies receive everything they have. Babies can do nothing for themselves. All they can do is receive help. And so to explain this, consider the difference between childhood and adulthood. Childhood is marked by helplessness and dependence. Adulthood, though, is marked by skepticism. Adulthood is marked by self-reliance and self-righteousness. And what Jesus is saying here to you adults especially is that disciples are to receive the kingdom of God as those who are totally dependent upon God for salvation. These are small children brought by their mother. And Jesus takes them in his arms. And there they lay happy in Jesus' arms happy in their helpless dependence upon Jesus. And so too, the kingdom of God is filled with those who are happily and helplessly dependent on the king of the kingdom. And so that means we ought to enter the kingdom of God like a child enters the world, naked and dependent. We are to receive the kingdom in the way an infant receives help. Infants are completely dependent on their parents. Infants are there happily receiving their parents' love, happily receiving their parents' gift of help. In contrast, adults are often resistant to receive help. Adults in their pride say things like, hi, ah, you shouldn't have. Adults say, oh, you know, I can't accept that help. I can't accept charity. I need to do it myself. And so we need to understand that infants are the model for how the kingdom of God is to be received. Why do adults have so much trouble being helpless? Why do adults have so much trouble being dependent? Well, children are willing to believe incomprehensible things. Adults, however, are disturbed by the presence of incomprehensible things. And so adults craft a framework through which they can see the world. Adults craft a framework that tries to make sense of the world and, and, and most often tries to make sense of their own personal experiences. 
And so that means that you know, if someone grows up in a broken home, they frame their understanding of the world in such a way that explains that very difficult experience and makes sense of it. Or if someone endures terrible suffering in their life, they frame their understanding of the world in such a way that explains that experience and makes sense of it. And that's the frame they've constructed. And that's how they interpret the entire world. And so if someone encounters something they can't understand, they frame their understanding of the world in such a way that explains it and makes sense of it. That's what adults do. Adults craft a framework to make sense of the world as they've experienced it. And then they look at the world through that frame. They look at God through that frame, convinced that because of the frame they've constructed, they can explain everything and that they have the world figured out. And that's why people tend towards skepticism as they get older, because the frame starts to get smaller and smaller. That's part of the frame they've constructed to make sense of all the incomprehensible things in the world, incomprehensible things that adults' imaginations are too dull to believe. And this frame that adults construct includes how they understand God. And so that means if you're an adult reading Mark chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the application point is not that you should become a child. The application point is that you, you need to examine yourself, you need to check yourself, because, as Shakespeare said, there are more things in heaven and earth than you could ever dream of. And adults forget that. There are more things in heaven and earth than you could ever dream of. You think the only thing that exists is whatever's on the Twitter feed. No, there is more things on heaven and earth than you could ever dream of, things that you can't even see, things that your imagination cannot reckon with. There are more things in heaven and earth than your limited adult human frame can hold. And you've all been around children. Children's minds can hold the incomprehensible thing. Children are especially gifted by God because they're unjaded by life. They can comprehend the incomprehensible thing. They can think about it. They can believe it. They can accept it. They can embrace it. They can run to it. They can love it. But adults, nope. We're just skeptical, cynical, and we wipe it away. And there is more to God in this universe than the adult imagination can account for. And since you are an adult rather than a child, you tend to be disturbed by incomprehensible things. And one of the incomprehensible things in Scripture is the incomprehensible love of God. This is made very clear in Ephesians chapter 3, that glorious prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following, where Paul prays this incredible prayer, and then he says, God, make it so that we can understand your love towards us. God's love towards us is incomprehensible because it's so undeserved. And so what is the proper response to the incomprehensible love of the God of the universe? Well, the proper response is trust. Trust, not skepticism, but trust is required when you face this God. What is the proper response to the incomprehensible love of the God of the universe? Dependence. Not self-reliance, but dependence on what God has revealed in Scripture. Trust and dependence are required to understand the God of this world. 
And so in this passage, Jesus is teaching us certain things about the kingdom. First, he teaches us that you must bring the little children. Second, he teaches us that you must bring yourself like a little child. And third, he teaches that you must enter the kingdom with faith. You must enter the kingdom with faith. Notice in verse 15 that Jesus says we receive and enter the kingdom. Notice how he brings these two things together. In verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So receiving the kingdom and entering the kingdom are the same thing in Jesus' thinking. And so notice, we receive the kingdom. We receive the kingdom. The kingdom is not taken. The kingdom is not acquired. The kingdom is not laid hold of. The kingdom is received, which then means it was given. Indeed, Jesus clarifies that very relationship in Matthew chapter 19, verse 11, when he says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. You see, for one person to receive means another person has given. And so, to put it back into the fuller context of this passage, we need to receive the kingdom of God like an infant receives help. An infant doesn't receive help and then say, oh, you shouldn't have. No, we need to receive the kingdom of God like an infant receives help, which is to say that when we receive the kingdom, we bring nothing to it. And we have nothing to offer that would make us worthy of it. The only proper way to receive the kingdom is to do so helplessly helplessly to reinforce the fact that you are completely and entirely dependent on God's help, on God's grace, on God's love. Now some here will, will, will read this passage, they'll hear the sermon, they'll see the point of Jesus' message, we should receive the kingdom of God like a child, and they will fret, and they will say, oh, am I childlike enough? And they'll fret and they'll wonder if they're childlike enough to receive the kingdom in the way that Jesus is talking about here. And so to you who are prone to such fretting, Jesus' teaching to enter the kingdom of God like a child should also be read in connection with Mark chapter 10, verse 27, when Jesus says all things are possible with God. And so to receive the kingdom as a child is done with the assurance that we are the children of God. You see, you don't enter the kingdom to get his favor. You enter the kingdom because of the favor of God's grace. And in that way, receiving the kingdom and entering the kingdom are much the same way. In other words, you receive the kingdom as a gift by faith. A gift. So you are not earning what you don't have. You are receiving what you do have in Christ. By faith in Christ, your status with God is that of forgiven and righteous. And it is based on God's forgiveness of your sins and counting you righteous that you enter the kingdom of God. So there's nothing you can do. So you don't have to fret about whether you're being childlike enough. All you have to do is depend on the Lord. Be helpless before the Lord and receive his forgiveness. Receive his righteousness that was purchased for you in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of Christ is the ground of your 
entering. And by faith in the death and resurrection of Christ who purchased your salvation, God is your father and you are his child. And God loves you like a father loves their children. And so verse 15 is a declaration that dependence, dependence and helplessness is the certain pledge of entrance into the kingdom of God. And since salvation is a matter of God giving, the best subjects are those who are willing to receive. The best subjects are those who are helpless and dependent on God's gift. And that is why during the benediction, Gage Crowder wrote a wonderful article about this a couple of months ago about why during the benediction we put our hands out. Well, during the benediction we put our hands out because we are receiving the divine blessing of God given to us through the minister. And that's our job. That's our primary job in the kingdom is to receive God's grace, to receive God's help, to receive, as the children do in verse 16, to receive God's blessing. And God's help, God's blessing, God's grace comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the same person holding these babies and speaking these words that we read today, not only announces the promise of salvation, but carries the promise of salvation, carries the guarantee of salvation in his very person, bearing your curse and speaking peace to your soul. And so in conclusion, we look around and we see that our lives are filled with children, or close your eyes and just listen, and you'll see that our lives are filled with children, especially here at Trinity Reformed Church. We are especially blessed by small children, by infants, in fact. Our lives are filled with children. Our lives are filled with infants, with young children. And this is God's grace to us. This is good and proper and healthy. And so whether you are a parent of a young child, a newborn, an infant, or a grandparent of a young child, or maybe a sibling, maybe your mom gave birth just recently to a new baby, or maybe you're someone who has a friend and you know, your friend has a newborn baby, you all must pause and look at the helpless baby. Stop, pause, and look at the helpless baby. And when you look, you should remember our Lord's word in this passage and realize that you are looking at the type of the one who enters the kingdom of God. That baby is preaching the gospel to you in that moment when they look up into their mother's arms completely helpless and completely dependent because that is how you will enter the kingdom. We're blessed with babies in our midst. You must look at them. You must dwell upon them. And a smile must come over your face because you realize that in their dependence on their mother, so too is your dependence on your father. And that is how you enter the kingdom. When you look at that baby, you must look at the babies that God has given us. When you look at the babies, you are looking at the essence of receiving salvation a supernatural salvation, a gift from God above. And those who receive God's saving grace do so as helpless babies. Just like a helpless baby receives the gift of love from their mother, so too we, as helpless and dependent sinners, receive the work of Christ on our behalf through faith. 
May we never look at the babies in our midst again. You have to realize that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, when Paul talks about how there's hands and feet in the church, the babies are in the kingdom, and there are hands and there are feet in our midst, and the babies have a very specific role to play. They have a gift to serve the church. The Lord has given us babies in the covenant family, and they have a role to play. May we never look at the babies in our midst the same again, because the baby's role is to teach us. They are teaching us. They are reminding us. They are a model for how we receive God's kingdom. That's their role to play. God has given it to them, and it is our job to learn from the helpless babies. You see, these babies don't possess the innocence of morality. They're born in sin. But rather, God has given the babies an important job to do. God has placed the babies in this covenant community to fulfill the task of symbolism because they are the type of those who enter the kingdom of God. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, we confess that you are sovereign in salvation. And we thank you for giving us living symbols of what sovereign grace looks like. May the babies in our midst inspire us to receive your help like a baby receives their mother's love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh, yeah.